Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Welcome this morning to all of our friends and family and guests. And today, um, I want to ask Brother Boyd if it's okay if I take a couple of the minutes that I didn't use last time. Okay. <laughs> Don't get scared, though. I'm not going to keep you past your break. You'll get your break. <laughs> but um, some of those extra minutes I actually may need to use today, if that's okay. Um, but thankfully, we've had this wonderful series called The Posture of a Disciple. And I don't know about you, but the last three weeks, there's been some kind of a special anointing, it seems like, in each lesson that has just presented itself really mightily and really powerful. And I feel like there's something in that, that God is trying to use us in some way to direct us into having that discipleship about ourselves. And I don't think there's any difference today. We're going to end up on this final lesson. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer that we can continue in the spirit of God together and that God would just open our hearts to receive what he would have us to do today. Can you join me in prayer? God, I love you, Jesus. I love your word, God. I love your presence, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, today, God, we come together, Jesus. Lord, for your service, God. Lord Jesus, what would you have us to do? Say, God, Lord, anoint Jesus. Lord, this message, God. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that your will, God, would be done in everything and all things. Jesus, today, God, accomplish, Lord, your will through me. Oh, God, help make us God, disciple makers this morning. God, Lord Jesus, give us burdens, Jesus, Lord, to reach the lost, God. I love you, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I love you, Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Past three weeks when we were speaking of um, the posture of a disciple, the first week we talked about how everyone is a disciple, that no one is outside of that realm. It's not just a position for ministers. It's not just a position for leaders. But he has called us to be a disciple, all of us. And um, the second week we talked about beyond separation, and that was awesome. Remember when God didn't just want to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, but he also wanted them to make it to the promised land. And the same is true for us. God didn't just call us out of sin, but he's called us to a committed life to follow him. Amen. And then last week we talked about informed, but not transformed. And we live in the information age, or as I like to say, the information overload age. But it's important, like Brother Rayleigh said last week, that we're just not getting into the word, but that the word is getting into us, that we're allowing that to transform us. 
So the posture of a disciple, it really starts with having an element of faith. Just like anything else in your walk with God, it really starts with that element of faith. You have to believe this. You have to believe this thing. And then it takes some obedience. So when he says, take up your cross and follow me, that you have that faith and that obedience to, yes, I'm going to do that. And when he says, hey, let's find a place of repentance and be baptized in my name, that we do that. That takes a sense of obedience. But it also should lead us to a place of maturity that we all know, hopefully, that it doesn't just end when he fills us with the Holy Ghost. But after that, it's just the start of a brand new beginning and a wonderful life with him. And so that walk with faith and obedience, it leads to maturity to where not only do we become disciples, but we actually become disciple makers. And so that's what I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you as a disciple to a disciple. I'm not an expert, but I'm a disciple, you're a disciple. And if we can just talk about the importance of that maturity to go from being a disciple to being a disciple maker. Um, it's something that stays, it's, it sits with me. It's a burden of mine. I don't want to place that burden on you. But I do just want to kind of convey the critical nature of the topic. Um, I live with a sobering thought every single day. It's just a thought I have every single day. And that thought is I'm not going to be here forever. My days are numbered. Especially because I'm getting closer to 40. But um, not really. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not really. But... Um, <laughs> But that thought stays with me, and I don't mean that in a morbid way, okay? I, I'll tell you, I, I try to explain things to my kids, and I tell them, look, I'm not always going to be here. And they don't like to hear that, but I don't mean that in a morbid way. Sometimes they need to know something. If I'm not here, they need to know some things. So I don't mean it in a morbid way, but I mean it in a way that it motivates me to live with eternity in mind. And that thought becomes more convicting when I think about my children or when I think about my loved ones. It becomes really convicting and really real because I'll, I'll tell you, I don't want to go to heaven without them. I don't want to go to heaven without you. I don't want to go to heaven without your loved ones. So if I truly want them to make heaven their home, then I want to live out my days being a disciple maker, making sure they know some things, making sure some things... They don't question. So making disciples is critical when you think of it like that. Because if we want the message and the mission of Jesus Christ to carry on when we're gone, then we have to intentionally invest everything that we know into someone who's going to outlive us. If we don't, think about that thought. If we don't, if we don't invest everything that we know about Jesus Christ, if we don't do that, then our walk with God and our knowledge of God will go with us to the grave. That's where that sobering thought comes to my mind. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, is Judges 2 and 10. The scripture says, And also all that the generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. That tells me somewhere down the line, after all God did for the Israelites, someone failed to share the story. 
How could someone forget to talk about the burning bush? Or, or how could someone forget the Red Sea or the manna every day? How could someone forget to share these stories? The walls of Jericho, how could someone forget to tell it? We know that Moses discipled Joshua, thankfully. Did Joshua maybe forget? Could it be that Joshua didn't make a disciple? Could it be that maybe Joshua's disciple didn't make a disciple? Somewhere along the line, someone failed to share it. And we cannot fail to make disciples today. And one of the reasons why we can't fail is because, believe it or not, there are disciples being made every day all over this world for other purposes. I tell you, there's drug dealers that are making disciples today. There's human traffickers, extreme Islamists. They not only make disciples, but they, they do it pretty regularly and pretty effortlessly. They don't have to be coerced. They don't have to be, you know, threatened that they're just going to go do it. So every day disciples are being made. So we as Christians, we have to counter all of that. And we have to make Christian disciples because the gospel of Jesus is the only answer for all of that. The only answer. And not only that, but making disciples secures our future of carrying that gospel. It makes sure that that gospel message is secured for the next generation. I want my grandkids to know it. I want my grandkids to hold on to it. So forgive me for starting out with such a serious thought. We as humans, we seem to place significance on a person's last words. You know, we kind of treasure and we preserve those final precious moments and one of the most significant passages in the Bible that we refer to as the Great Commission was actually one of the last spoken words of the resurrected Jesus. And he was speaking to his disciples, and he gave them this instruction. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So he gave a command, and in that command he created a mission and a model. He gave four commands, four parts to it. Go, baptize, teach, and make. And generally, we're pretty good at the first three, go, baptize, and teach. But that third, or that last one, make, we struggle a little bit more on. We, we sometimes need a little bit help because making anything is going to take some time. I'm going to take some care and some attention. I know this week, Amy had Amy Townsend had posted some pictures of Brother Daryl had made her some tables. And, you know, that took some care into making those. That took some precision in doing that. Um, I'm pretty sure that if, if he didn't measure something out or if he didn't sand something and he didn't cut something just right, she wouldn't have posted that for everybody to see. <laughs> She'd probably say, you need to start over. <laughs> But he took some care and, and, and made that intentionally, probably the way that she wanted it to be made, probably used the paint colors that she wanted because he used, he made some intention in doing that. And making disciples, if you think about it, it requires that we live our life with intention, with purpose, because making disciples is not just an experiment. It's not just to let me mark this off my task for the day. It's not something on your to-do list. It Making disciples is a lasting impact that's going to outlive us. I want to talk just for a little bit about our greatest example in, in disciple-making, that's Jesus. Um, I hope none of my comments get taken out of context. I hope that you know my heart and where I'm coming for. If there's any questions, feel free. We can talk. 
But Jesus had only three and a half years to get done with what he came to do. Three and a half years. So he didn't have any time to waste. He didn't have any time to make mistakes or just let's see if this works, let's see if that works. He didn't, have, he didn't do all that. He just had his priority and his priority was to seek and to save the lost. That was it. He wanted to seek and to save the lost. And his method to do so was to take sinners and to make them his friends and to take his friends and make them into disciples. Now, typically today, we foster relationships, typically with the sanctified or the holy within these four walls, and I'm not opposed to that at, at any means. That's where we draw our strength. That's where we get our encouragement. But we don't typically think about we need to go out and reach the sinners. We don't typically call. If I was to tell you I have sinners that are friends, it may raise a couple eyebrows, but I do. And I love them very much. But we do, for a very good reason, we place a great emphasis on 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 to come out from among them and be separate from the world. We definitely preach um, the gospel of, of separation, and I believe that 100%. But separation does not mean isolation. Two separate words, there's a big difference between the two. Yes, we are called out from a worldly attitude or a worldly lifestyle, but we have not been called away from the people that Jesus wants us to reach. Thank you for some of that response. But speaking about the difference between isolation and, and separation, Brother Stan Gleason, whom I admire very much, especially on this topic of um, discipleship, he said this, some churches have manufactured the rapture before its time. And that statement stirred me. Because what he's saying is that some churches have disappeared from the communities and just stopped trying to, to reach people. And that stirs me. That hurts. He continued to say that too much ministry is done by the church for the church. That we continually carry the water to the river instead of the desert. So that shakes me. I want to be one that carries it to the desert. They need it. There's people out there. So the command to go make disciples does not contradict the call to come out from the world. And we could say that Jesus' prayer for the disciples in John 17, 15 was this. Jesus prayed, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Okay. Jesus' prayer for us was not to be isolated from the world, but to be insulated from the world's influence. Amen. I'll tell you, I know that every day I need the Holy Ghost to cover me every day just when I go to work. And I pray that every day. I pray, God, you're going to have to cover me, insulate me today. You know, keep me from what I don't need. But Lord, let me have open eyes to see what opportunities you have placed before me. I need the Holy Ghost just when I go shopping at Walmart. You've been there, right? But you know, God's been faithful to me in those things because it's in the, in the element of my work that I've interacted with. I've cried and I've prayed with employees and strangers there. And God's been faithful to me at Walmart too because I've cried and prayed with strangers in Walmart too. But he'll do that. We're not to be isolated 
but we can be insulated. When Jesus called his disciples, he gave them an invitation with just two words, and that was, follow me. And it's amazing, such it sounds so simple, two words, but it was remarkable because people started leaving their jobs over just follow me. Matthew just walked away from a table of money. Four fishermen dropped their nets. James and John left their dad, Zebedee, in the boat and left and followed him. But they weren't just following him to just follow him around. It wasn't about that. There was more to it. They were there to be with him, to act like him, to think like him, to talk like him, to do what he did. Jesus' priority was that his disciples follow him to turn around and make disciples. And in John 14 and 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say it to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 70 of his disciples to, to do the ministry. He sent 70 of them out. And the Bible says that they returned with great reports. Because Jesus' plan worked. They followed him, and then they eventually led. And the same is true for us. Jesus has called us to be his disciples and then go and make disciples. We follow him to eventually lead others to him. When Jesus said, go make disciples... He was referring to a lifestyle. It wasn't a repent. It wasn't a just be baptized. It was a lifestyle. It was a pattern. It was a mentality. It was a way to live, a way to think, and a way to act. Jesus' example was, as a disciple maker, he was approachable, he was compassionate, and he was intentional. He was able to reach a few people at a time by building a relationship with them on a daily basis. That is so important to know. Because there's something to be learned by the way that Jesus reached the world. He made disciples by building relationships. He picked up children. He hugged children. He held them close. He touched the lepers and the paralyzed. He fed hungry people. He waited for blind beggars to stumble upon them. He even allowed John to lean across his chest at the Last Supper. He was approachable. He was compassionate. And you know what? His method always works. It's not even just a method that was used back then. It always works. Making disciples by building relationships, it transcends time. It transcends cultures. It transcends any demographics. So there is no need to try to reinvent that wheel. We just have to keep building relationships. If you go back even to the Old Testament, God called and he equipped Moses. And then Moses, in turn, invested into Joshua. And then Joshua successful, successfully was able to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Thankfully, he did. And then you think about the prophet Elijah. He passed his mantle down and he invested into Elisha. And the Bible says that Elisha performed as twice as many miracles as Elijah did. The first church grew by being relational. They shared resources. They ministered together. And in Acts 4, 5 and 42, it says that daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ because they didn't want to miss any potential disciple. They got into the lives. They were present. They were there with their disciples intentionally and consistently every day 
So daily they went, never ceased. I think about Barnabas and how he invested into Saul. He knew what Saul did. He saw some of what Saul did. He knows the persecution and, and murders that he had done. But that's not all he saw. He saw something special in him. And he started to invest in him. And so Paul, Saul went from persecuting Christians to writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But he didn't just do that. He invested into people too. Paul turned around invested into Timothy and many others. There are over 40 people named in the scripture who are in the downline of Apostle Paul's spiritual family tree. Over 40 people that are named. Now Paul led them to Christ, but he didn't just lead them to Christ and leave them there. He continued to train them and mentor them. He developed them. He wrote letters. He took with them on missionary trips. He prayed for them. There's even some that believe that when he was in prison that he had to constantly have guards changed out because he was so... He persuaded even the guards about Christianity. That's how much he was a disciple maker. So he would persuade a guard. They'd have to change him out to someone else because that's just how effective that he was at making disciples. But would that even have happened had not Barnabas been the one to take the chance and reach out to Saul? Paul stressed the necessity of disciple-making relationships to Timothy when he wrote this in 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he says, I have taught you all this. Now you take it and you teach it to other people. And that's the only way it's going to continue. Paul also told the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11 and 1, to follow me as I follow Christ. Now he wasn't boasting and he wasn't trying to be prideful or arrogant. He just understood and followed that discipleship model of Jesus. And so that's why he said, I'm following his example. So you have to fo you follow mine because I'm following his. And then you continue this model. And so he urged the church to do the same. So that's the first church. That's the first apostles. And that's the Old Testament. So what does that mean for us here in the 21st century church? What does disciple making look like today? Well, I want to tell you that Jesus' method still works. Building relationships will always be the most effective way to reach lost people because humans have a need to belong, to be loved, and be cared for. And that's why building relationships work. We have so many more advantages to reach the world with the gospel that weren't afforded to our apostolic ancestors. We have the completed word of God at our fingertips. We have many other resources as well. We have each other too. We have more efficient ways to travel. I don't think I saw anybody arrive by camel today. But we have advancements in technology. We have advancements in communication. We don't have to write a letter and wait a couple of weeks to get there. No, we can pick up a phone and call and reach out to somebody. We can give somebody our phone number. We can give someone our email address. But it's all around quicker and easier to reach people today than they had it. And not only that, but where the first church didn't worship predominantly in one dedicated space or a building, we're blessed to have a corporate place to worship. 
Brother Boyd spoke about the body of Christ on Wednesday night and how important that it is. And it is because this is where we come today to receive some inspiration, to receive some strength to go out and to make disciples through the week. But their lack of a worship facility didn't hinder the gospel from being spread. It kept spreading, even though they didn't have a place to worship. So our access to our church should improve our efforts to spread the gospel. And many, many opportunities come for us to build relationships right here. This is the perfect place to build relationships, either visitors, new believers, anybody. But we leave here and we have Monday through Saturday of our own personal time. And in that, we also have the opportunity to make disciples on that relational level in our daily lives. We have the opportunity to be the church, to be disciple makers. So God loves lost people. And he wants to reach them. I believe that still today. And I believe that he deliberately planned for us to help him do that. That's our job. And I think, you know, if, if God has his mind on somebody that he wants to be saved, I believe that he's going to choose you or me to get that message to them. Oh, I want to be, I want to be, have my ears ready to hear that. I want to know. I want to be a, open and available for God to use that way. And I believe that God, sometimes he does divinely, like he did in the Bible, inspire some relationships. I do believe many relationships are divinely inspired. But more often than not, I believe that daily opportunities do present themselves. I think that we rub shoulders with and we, we talk to people every single day that may be in our, in our realm of being able to, to make disciples. And sometimes it may not be obvious to us, but that's why it's important that we stay sensitive and that we watch, listen, and stop long enough to be able to recognize an opportunity. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, too. I, I do. Every single day I pray, God, let me recognize an opportunity. And so sometimes when, you know, somebody approaches me or if I'm in a situation, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like, oh, is this an opportunity? And in my head I'm listening to them talk, and I'm trying to be an active listener at the same time in my mind, I'm praying, God, if this is an opportunity, please don't let me say something dumb. Please don't let me put my foot in my mouth. That's being honest. I'm just being honest with you because I am open to God wanting to use me for an opportunity like that. But I'm also, I know how my humanity is. I can very easily stick my foot in my mouth. So things may start completely random. Like maybe, you know, in today's world, I, I honestly don't think it's a great idea to walk up to somebody and say, take up your cross and follow me. I, I don't think that it would be a good idea just to walk up to somebody and say, um, you want to be my disciple? Um, <laughs> I think I'd be a little scared myself. So I'm not suggesting that by any means. Um, but, you know, sometimes it may just be something like you meet for coffee. It may be a conversation at a park when you're there with your kids. It may just be something that God develops and you don't even, it's not obvious to you. Um, Brother Stan Gleason had wrote that one of his disciples is his neighbor and how he started discipling this man was um, they had a police and SWAT all at his house, his neighbor's house. He had not met him at the time. And so his wife went inside and baked some cookies and then later that day they went and delivered some cookies. To them, and then here, you know, years later, there's still he still has contact with that man every single day. He invests something into that man's life, 
And he didn't he has not given up on that man. It's still he still calls him his disciple. And personally, one of my relationships began with having lunch with a lady in Trenton. It was just an acquaintance. I really didn't know. And um, a conversation got sparked up, and I kind of had that prayer, God, oh, please don't let me say something dumb. Please don't let me say something dumb. And, you know, God had forged something. And to this day, I still make sure that weekly I am in touch with that person. And, and you know, sometimes I get convicted because we have heart-to-hearts, and I'll be like, man, I was really... Um, compelled I had to just find somewhere to pray and then she says well I wish you would have called me because I would have came and prayed I missed that one you know I missed that one but I remember next time I will but that's 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 what you look for you know that's the opportunities that God provides for us one man said that he goes to the grocery store to meet people for Christ and while he's there he may pick up some groceries that's the way he sees it, you know. It's all, it's intentional, you know. So whether God supernaturally directs us to a specific person or if we simply take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves during the routines of our life, the key is to live purposely and not randomly. Each day if you wake up and you pray that God will direct your steps and you head out that day with a disciple's heart, he'll put some opportunities there for sure. I want to encourage you not to wait until you feel qualified, so to speak. Um, we are all products of a broken world. We're all not perfect. We're all flawed in some way. So we can't feel like we have to know everything and that we have it all together before we even start trying. Hebrews 5 and 12 says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. What the writer of Hebrews was saying was he was aware that there were very good saints of God who were doing absolutely nothing to make disciples. And so he stated that failing to make disciples is just a sign of an immature believer. As long as some of us have been believers, I think sometimes we might be more qualified than what we think. And if you look at all of the heroes of the faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, you look at all of the heroes of the faith. They have at least one fault. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived. David committed adultery. Noah got drunk. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Sarah laughed at God. Moses committed murder. And Rahab was a harlot. All those things we don't condone. But God was able to use their imperfect stories to fulfill his message. And he can do the same thing with our imperfect stories as well. So don't quit, don't delay, and don't be cavalier about growing in your walk with God. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey to know God more. We have to be authentic like that. And if we're not authentic, you know me, I'll tell you. Like I just said, I, I put my foot in my mouth all the time. That's just being real with you. That's being authentic with you. But by sitting there and giving you a perception that I'm perfect or I'm an expert, that's not real. And you guys would be able to see through any insincerity, and you would be able to see that I try to perceive some perfection, and you know what? They would too. And I don't want to hinder them. I don't want to ever, you know, put some perfection out there and then them say, well, I could never live up to that. I, I, I definitely, you're just not going to, you're going to have a hard time connecting with somebody who's trying to be real with you. Now, I do not by any means advise anybody to just air your dirty laundry or to, 
expose all your skeletons in your closet, but there are some testimonies that we do need to share. People need to hear. There are stories of battles and struggles and how we have processed defeat and how we have celebrated victory. I'll tell you, my kids love the story about the night that I came to an altar of repentance. I wasn't living right, and I did not want to go to church that night. And I'll spare you the rest of the details, but occasionally my kids will ask me to tell them that story. And it touches my heart. And I never want to fail to, to not tell them. So when they ask me to tell them, I'm going to tell them all over again. And I'm going to tell them all over again so that they know it. And I'm going to tell them that, look, I wasn't perfect then and I'm not perfect now. But you know what? God had other plans for my life that night. And I'm going to take that opportunity to tell them that God has a plan for their life too. And believe that. And believe that. And that's just not for my kids. That's just not for my kids, but I believe that with disciples that I have in my life. I believe that. I believe that God is ordaining something in their life, that God is calling them to something greater, that God wants to grow in a relationship with them. I believe that. That's why I make the investment, because I believe in that investment. And that personal testimony is an easy and powerful way to start that conversation. Always you have that personal testimony. I also want to say this to those that maybe some people are coming to your mind that maybe you've tried to reach out to and it hasn't always panned out like you've thought. And that happens. And what I've learned is not to get discouraged if your disciple doesn't meet your timeline or meet your expectations. I, I understand the discouragement there. And some of the discouragement came. Um, I was trying hard to really reach out to someone and I had a believer tell me, well, you're not, being, you're not being effective at all. And that crushed me. That crushed me. So let's not discourage each other. But um, don't discourage, don't get discouraged if your disciple doesn't meet the expectation. You have to remember that it's God's work. Okay. Peter, even with all his experience as being a fisherman, he put his net on the wrong side of the boat twice. He had all the experience of being a fisherman. He still put his net on the on this wrong side twice. But then Jesus directed him to do the other, put it on the other side. Now, I'm sure that he had been tired and exhausted all day from trying hard and probably getting pretty frustrated that he had no success. But when he followed what Jesus said, he had more fish than he could handle. So don't get frustrated. Don't get discouraged. It may not look like you thought, but you're, you're sowing the seed. You're throwing, you're casting out the seed, and we're the sower. So if you look at even the parable of the sower, the seed was cast out the same to all the different soils. And the result wasn't necessarily based on the sower, other than he had to be the one to cast it. He had to cast it out. But other than that, sometimes we cast the seed, and sometimes we're not happy with the results. But it's because the soil might not have been right. It's not because you, did, you failed to cast it. You have to cast it. But don't discount the seed that falls on the good soil. Regardless of the sower, regardless of us, that good seed's going to grow and be fruitful. I believe that. And you can look at the examples that we've talked about already and see that that's exactly the case. Amen. So I want to summarize disciple making because I like to always put, we, we talk a lot, I know it's a lot of information, but I like to just give you a practical thing that you can just take home with. Okay. And practically, look, making disciples is this. You point the way and you clear the path. You point the way and you clear the path. And a couple steps like this. Number one, 
maintain a healthy and a growing relationship with God. Your relationship with, your relationship with God is the most important thing. You stay prayed up. You stay prayed up about the disciple. You, stay your, you keep your nose in the word. You come to church to make sure you're full to be able to give to somebody else. If you have nothing to give, then you can't make the investment. So maintain your healthy and growing relationship with God. Two, actively seek and share your faith with others. It's not going to go anywhere if we leave here today and we just keep the word for ourselves. So we have to actively seek and share our faith with others. Three, determine to help your disciples connect to God. So when that opportunity presents itself, well, you know, I know how you feel. I've been there. I couldn't have made it without the Lord. There's ways that you can just connect people to God that easy sometimes. So determine to help your disciple connect to God. Four, if any strays away, this is important, pursue them. Don't let them go. I'm not saying being hard on them and you know better. I would never say that. But, you know, there's some people that are going to kind of fall away. Some people aren't going to, re to receive like we thought. Just make sure that they're noticed and that they're valued. Make sure they know that they're valued. Because you know what? There's going to be a time when they're going to return there and say, you know, I remember that conversation we had. I remember that time you prayed with me. They're going to remember that. So pursue the strays. Five, intentionally equip them to be disciples. So have Bible studies. You know, some of the things that I've recognized when I'm trying to help disciple people is I recognize they have giftings that I don't. And I am amazed. And I tell them that you really have a gift in this. And they start sparking, well, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you. And we'll have a whole conversation about gifts that I believe is God-given to them. And then the other part of that about intentionally equipping them is don't abandon them just because they visited first. Don't pawn them off on somebody else. Adopt them. Love them. And just because they get the Holy Ghost, remember, that's just where it starts. So don't just leave them there. we got to continue to disciple them, okay? And then the purpose is the last step. It's where we develop them to release them to follow that same pattern to make disciples. So that's the practical guide of disciple making. A little boy had been raised in church his entire life. He was taught that Jesus would be with him and protect him and comfort him. But one night that theology was put to the test. There was a bad thunderstorm, woke him up in the middle of the night, and all he could see was lightning flashing and hear the thunder. And he was sure that his life was being threatened. So briefly he considered what his parents and his Sunday schools had taught him about Jesus being with them all the time. But he didn't find much comfort in that knowledge because this was extreme. He tried to pray and reach out to God, but he couldn't hear God through all the thunder. And he couldn't see him through all the lightning. He knew his parents would be asleep and he didn't really want to bother him, but it was desperate times, so it called for desperate measures. The little boy leaped out of bed and he ran down the hallway into his parents' room. And he took a flying leap right into the middle of their bed. Obviously, it woke his father up and he turned and he said, Son, what is the matter? And he said, Dad, I'm scared. And the dad replied, Son, there's nothing to be afraid of. We've taught you your whole life that Jesus is with you all the time. In fact, he was with you in your bedroom the whole time through this storm. And the little, bit, and the little boy said, Dad, I know. But right now I need someone with skin on. <laughs> Disciple makers are Jesus with skin on. And I want to encourage everyone today to be a disciple maker. There is someone, I promise you, that needs your, your fingerprints on their life. 
we cannot disciple everyone. I don't recommend going out there and find you 12 disciples all at once because it takes that intention. You have to keep up with them. But we can at least invest in one person. And if we are successful at making one disciple, then they can carry on and continue to make disciples too. Because disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And I just want to encourage you to take that journey with somebody. Aren't you glad someone took that journey with you? I'll tell you what. I think back to that that night that I didn't want to go to church, and I thought, man, as much as my sister and I fought, I'm so thankful she's put that invite out there. I know I was already invited to church. I didn't just want to go. But I'm so thankful that she made that intentional effort to say, and she had only been living for God a couple months. She wasn't equipped. She wasn't no expert. But she still said, why don't you just come to church? And I'm so thankful I did. I'm thankful for people like that. Amen. As we stand and close, I want to pray with everyone. I hope it's okay before we break just to come together and pray. Not so much physically, but just if we could pray together. And I want you to think about this. Who is your disciple? Who is your disciple? Can you identify a lost person or maybe a new believer that you personally feel responsible for? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But let's pray that sometime, maybe this week, that we have that intentional prayer that, God, you would lay somebody on our heart, that we could find somebody to commit to disciple to until they come full circle and make disciples themselves. Remember that when we go to heaven, the only thing we can take with us are the disciples that we make because they're going to go too. But likewise, think of it this way. We're not only doing that so that they go to heaven, but... The only thing we can leave behind are the disciples that we make. So it's important that we make disciples. Because when we're gone, we need them to keep being here to make disciples too. The only thing that will outlive us are the people whose lives that we've influenced. Can we pray together? God, Lord, today, Jesus, I pray, God, that you'd lay a burden on our hearts, God, Lord, to make disciples for your glory, God. Lord, Jesus, I pray that, Jesus, Lord, you'd give us true desire, God. Lord, Jesus, my God. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.